long as we have faith in our cause. I'm Mike. And unconquerable willpower. I'm Dave. Salvation will not be denied us. And this is between the lines. Are you better off than you were four years ago? And we're back. Welcome, Gigolos and Jelly Beans. <laughs> How's everyone doing? How's everybody on this fine April, what, 30th? Is yeah, 30th? I think today's the 30th. <laughs> today is the last day of April. It's almost May. I believe today is indeed the last day of April. I can't believe um, it's almost May. It's crazy how fast this year is going. Yeah, we're, the, the year's halfway over. Um, it's it's insane. It's It truly is insane how uh, how quickly time flies That just means by. we've been having so much fun. Oh, that's exactly what it means. <laughs> all, this, all this fun. The thing is, is, I was not a part of that tweet. Nobody told me I was supposed to be having fun <laughs> yeah. these past five months. We at Between the Lines do not have a sense of humor we are aware of. <laughs> we've not been told such yet. We, we've not been told to have a sense of humor, <laughs> so therefore we do not have a sense of humor. Sense of humor is uh, no longer allowed. It's optional. Yep. It's optional. What, sense of humor? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You, don't, you don't need to have one of those today. Oh, in, yes. fact, in fact, uh, I would say that having a sense of humor... Um, in today's uh, climate, uh, is a detriment to to your to yeah. your success. Well, it's also a detriment to people that actually want to get a date. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> remember, um, the, remember that stupid movie Equilibrium with uh, oh, Christian yeah. Bale. Everything was black and white. There was no color. There yeah. was no inflection. No jokes. No nothing. It was just a, a, a Democrat's dream. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Anyway, um, last week uh, we talked about stuff and things. It was and kind things. of a mismatch yeah. episode. We kind well, of we tried to do that so that we can actually work on stuff that we prepared yeah. for. <laughs> yeah, we just we, we kind of just had a random episode. There was some good stuff in it. So yeah. I, you know, just go back and check out all of our old episodes, starting at the very beginning. Uh, I believe the episode episode one is called Genesis. Yeah. Um, you can go all the way back and listen from they're all they're all good some of them are better than others but they're all good so go back and listen to our old stuff too you can find us on Facebook PA between the lines you can find us on Twitter at the BTL podcast and we're on Reddit I'm just gonna say it like that for now we're on Reddit uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it later on today it's just too it's too hard to go through the usernames too many and the freaking usernames. It's like, oh my god! I wish we could have gotten the same one for everything. But I, f- I feel like I'm that person now that writes their passwords on their PC. It's like yeah. I don't care anymore. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I've given up. You I, can have it. Security sucks anyway. <laughs> yeah, you can have it. So today, um, in light of everything that's going on um, in the world today, in especially in the United States, we thought that we would have. Um, an episode dedicated to the First Amendment. We have talked for a long time about having a constitutional series, um, and I, I still want to go through the bread and butter, that the actual main document of the Constitution, but um, when when everybody thinks of the Constitution, they really think of the Bill of Rights anyway. Yeah, um, That's usually where people, where, um, where things land uh, for people. When they hear Constitution, they think you know, the bill of rights, the, well, the amendments. And that, that there's a reason for that too, because that the original, well, we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. But the, the original uh, document didn't have a whole lot as no. far as it, it was very, very baked down. 
It was, it was, um, you know, it structured the government and that was it. It didn't enumerate any rights for people or nope. anything like that. So, um, with the news of the Department of Homeland Security, to, to preface why we're, we're, we're kind of going into this, it's, it's, it's kind of two prong. One, it's the debate over Twitter. Um, there's a lot of debate over, you know, well, you can't have free speech unless you regulate it. And that, that's, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. Um, there are carve outs for free speech and things like that. So, um, you know, between what's going on in Twitter and the Department of Homeland Security just announced the other day in a, in a shock briefing, it just came out of nowhere, uh, that they're forming what they're calling the, the Disinformation Governance Board. Which is, i.e., the Ministry, the of, Ministry Truth. of Truth from 1984. I mean, we're, we're literally living in a dystopian nightmare, and, and nobody is... Like nobody's taking the red pill. Everybody's just swallowing that blue pill. Well, they're just they're introducing it as as an effort to uh, cut down on Russian influence and foreign influences in American politics. But the thing is, is that they already have departments exactly within DHS, within the FBI, within you know the various departments that handle this kind of scenario that yeah. handle this already. just like the the. Just like the Patriot Act and the FISA courts were never supposed to apply to American citizens, yeah. right? Well, that's the whole thing is that there. that's the big debate right now is that this this isn't necessary. This whole board is not necessary. Absolutely not. The only reason why they would put it into effect if in, in some way, shape, or form it's going to be manipulated or grafted oh, they're gonna a, use it. into an organization that focuses on the domestic citizen. Now, here here's my thing. These these type of programs are never are never put into place with the intent of them being abused. That's, no, that's never the yeah. purpose. And I of agree it. with that. I agree with that. But that's always the result. Yeah. Like every yep. every time something like this is tried. I mean, especially with the Patriot Act and and what happened with uh, not only Donald Trump's campaign and them spying on Carter Page and and all that stuff that went down. They lied to the FISA courts and and all that other stuff. But there's been numerous accounts of American citizens being caught up in mass data collections, warrantless mass data collections. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the constitution. And I also believe that the constitution should apply everywhere. Yeah. I don't think it's something that stops at the United States borders, in my opinion. Yeah. I think the Constitution is even more relevant in this day and age than it was even during the time and period in which they lived. Yep. Because what we're dealing with now is just an, an overblown excess of informational access that yeah. is just, it's really blurring the lines of, you know, what is mine and what is yours, essentially. So. Man, Benjamin Franklin, his head would explode. Blowed. Oh yeah. If Absolutely. he if he could if he could have access yeah. to all of the information, like him and his the, the printing press that they used back in those days, that was that was their Twitter because you could get a printing press and then all of a sudden now you can print whatever you want and you're not limited to 140 characters, motherfucker. You can put out whatever <laughs> you want. You he'd, know what I mean? He'd be tying keys onto, uh, you know, everybody. He'd be the he'd <laughs> yeah. be the first Iron Man, probably. He would be. <laughs> if if Ben, but Benjamin Franklin, even Thomas Jefferson, he was a sponge. Yeah, he was a sponge for knowledge. Well, not for anything, but you know, we were just talking about this earlier. I, I want to preface before we even get into this. I want to preface: slavery is bad. Um, 
so anyone that wants to say that we're glorifying slave owners and shit like yeah. that, slavery's bad. Slavery was horrible. I'm just getting it out of the way so that we don't have to ar- make that argument later. Um, slavery is a horrible thing and it's a horrible practice. And these men were wrong for participating in that. Other than that, they were great men. We're, yeah. we're getting past it. Yeah. I just wanted to caveat that. Yeah. Unfortunately, you have to make disclaimers. Yeah, I have to make those right? caveats. But yes, yeah, slavery was bad. We're aware that slavery was bad, but they did other things besides that. But most people that have common sense and are able to be talked with mm-hmm. like normal human beings would understand that, you know, we're not glorifying their faults. We're glorifying the good that came out of, yeah. you know, those it's guys just like were... with that's that that's called life. You know, you know, you don't if you have a brother that got caught in the using meth you don't glorify the meth use but you glorify that maybe he was in the air force or glorify that he was a successful businessman or thomas jefferson was the elon musk of his day yeah he really was yeah. he was a rich man yeah very wealthy but because he worked for it but he worked for it just and like most elon. of it was agrarian if you think about it it was very much because um he was big in the gardening mm-hmm. he wrote an entire novel on gardening like towards the end of his life that was his major focus he was an inventor yeah he invented a, a, an invention that most of us use today, uh, and that would be the wheeled office chair. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but Thomas Jefferson, um, if my memory serves me, invented the wheeled office chair. Yeah. He was tired of having to pick his chair up because he would have he was doing so much, he would have two or three desks that were pushed together, yeah. and he was tired of having to pick up his chair to move from desk to desk, so he put wheels on the bottom of his chair so he could just wheel from Yeah, I don't desk remember. I was actually I was at Monticello a couple of years ago. And uh, got to see everything up close and personal. His 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 living quarters were really interesting. Like mm-hmm. he had a um, he had a room downstairs where he slept primarily. It was actually kind of his office as well. But what's interesting is the bed actually didn't have. It was like carved into the wall almost. So it mm. was like a wall bed, but mm. it connected to the other room next to him. So he could oh. just go to bed and just roll and over and, and roll go over and into, into the into other office. room. So, but Efficiency. He was, a, he was a tall guy. He was about 6'2", yeah. 6'3". Six, six, so yeah. he wasn't he was taller than me. Yeah. He was taller than I am. I'm, I'm six But two. he was a soulless ginger. Yes, I'm just going to point that out. He, he was. He was a he redheaded was soulless ginger. ginger. <laughs> one of the, one of the le- lesser known gingers yeah. of, of the ginger uh, yeah. family. Um, so... The reason we talk about Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin is because they all were very big proponents of a concept called free speech and freedom of expression. Yeah. Um, so uh, they. Why don't you let, let's do the history? Why don't we Why don't we go over how how the the First Amendment actually came about? So. Uh, 1775, 1776 was when the Revolutionary War started, kicked off, and it went to about 1783, which is when they surrounded General Cornwall in Yorktown, and that was, and then they signed the Treaty of Paris, which was kind of the ending point. Yep. So in between that period of time, between 1775, 1776 to 1783, they established their first constitution, which was called the Articles of Confederation, which was ratified in November of 1777. George Washington was not the first president of the United this States. This is correct. This he is was not. It was, uh, oh boy, I never remember his name. Yeah. But it was something, it, I'll, I'll look it up while you keep going. He didn't really carry much authority. That no. that, that was the reason why he didn't get The president much. Was very, had very little power. But uh, the Articles... Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Correction. They were sent to the states for ratification on November of 1777, and they were actually ratified in 1781. So they were ratified about two years before the war ended. 
So what kicked off the war was the Declaration of Independence. Essentially, that was the more or less the shot heard around the world when the United States declared the colonies to be free and separate and, you know, um, unequivocally um, allowed rights as individuals apart from the British Empire and whatnot. But anyways, the articles were ratified in 1781 and remained the governing document for the nation until it was replaced by the Constitution in 1789. Um so basically, you had roughly about, what, eight, nine years between the time that the articles were ratified and the, the beginning of the ratification or the, the start of the real Constitution or the inception of the Constitution in 1789. And mo- most of the reasoning behind why they scrapped the Articles of Confederation, because a lot of it was done out of desperation, it, the Articles of Confederation were ratified because there was really no... Uh, means by which to pay off debts at that point. There were no means by which to uh, organize resources. There was just nothing going on as far as like any kind of legislation, any kind of direction, any kind of uh, established means or processes within the country. There was no president. There was no judicial branch at that point. So there was a lot of nothing going on in terms of the, the government at that point. So that kind of spurred them on to decide that they need to start a constitutional uh, Congress to um, start looking at uh, how and how best to build out a constitution that adequately grasps the need of the country in terms of its um, legislation, its its process, its um, its rights, which is what we're going to primarily talk about today. So. Um, one of the things, um, int- this is just a little bit of tidbit, but George Washington initially was reluctant to attend the Constitutional Convention. Um, he did see a need for a stronger national government, but he was busy managing his estate at Mount Vernon and uh, coincidentally was also fighting off rheumatism. Um, he was worried that the convention wouldn't be successful um, in achieving its goals. So there was a lot of, I point that out because there was a lot of um, just doubts, just very sincere doubts about the future of the country. I mean, you have to imagine George Washington put everything on the line. And you think about a lot of these people that we characterize as being founding fathers, people that put, they, they didn't even, they didn't just simply put their thoughts forward. They put their fortunes forward. Yep. A lot of people don't realize that these, they, these people funded the Revolutionary War. So for those of you that will sit there and point fingers at them, you know, for just being the thought mongers of their day and time. They were the people that were putting actual feet behind what was going on. They were funding the Minutemen. They were funding the soldiers that were fighting on a day-to-day basis, providing them with food and shelter and all the daily necessities that they required. So, yeah, it required these men to be men of substance, men of wealth, men of some means in order to accomplish this. But there were some very huge debts that were accrued as a result of this. And that's kind of one of the reasons why um, the Constitution became such an important piece of their to-do list, you know, coming into 1789, because like I said before, they had no means by which to pay off debts. There was no way to tax or collect. There was no way. And we're not against taxation. You know, that's one thing, you know, here between the lines, we're not against taxation. We just were like most people were against it without representation. So if we don't have somebody that represents our views, even though we're paying 
for a person to represent is to kind of, you know, is disingenuous yeah. and is incongruent. That's the whole reason why, you know, the, the, everybody knows from, from elementary history, taxation without representation is the reason why we fought the whole war because we were sending money to a foreign country yeah. that we had no say over how our own country was being run. Um, so we're like, to hell with that. Why should we keep toiling and, and, bleeding and sweating for for the king when the king gives us no say in how we live our everyday lives um and that's that's where we are today and it was due to a bunch of plucky bostonians that decided to say go screw yourself (laughs) yeah And, and and really i think the first amendment is so important because it was a violation of freedom of assembly that kicked off the revolutionary war it was the boston massacre there was a We'll call it a violent protest. It was a violent protest. There was some there were some oyster shells and rocks being thrown at soldiers yeah. and and bottles and glass being thrown at soldiers and stuff like that. And the soldiers returned fire on the citizens and some citizens were killed. Um, and they call that the Boston Massacre. Yeah. And the the British soldiers were tried, uh, represented by John Adams, which I think is a big. Um, a big point to point out it's always been in the nature of the united states to defend to have a defense for people because john adams obviously he was a founding father he believed in america but he also believed that everyone deserved a defense and he was um oh he was a staunch supporter of the independence of the u.s i mean probably the staunchest one of them yeah he was actually our our delegation to france for a long time Um, spent a lot of time in France, um, you know, negotiating support for the war. Then he was actually the first ambassador to Britain. Yeah. To King George after the war. Yeah. He actually got to meet the king. How, how, how can you imagine the the gravity? The chutzpah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like being, being the person who represents the per, the, the country that just kick their shackles off and you know and get to walk in and meet the king there's a really good series i believe it's on is it on hbo hbo yeah Yeah, actually called uh, john adams and it's really awesome and it and it um there's a spot in there when john adams actually goes to meet it's paul giamatti yeah uh, and john adams goes to meet king george i personally think he does a phenomenal job there's some people are like i don't see how he fit into that role but i personally think he did a phenomenal job yeah i mean i lost i lost myself in it you know i i believed him as john adams yeah and the guy that played thomas jefferson was really good too um, oh yeah, I can't think. Of, he was in Game of Thrones yeah. too. He was, uh, yeah. But it was. It, it's a really good series, and 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 if you're if you're uh, if you're curious about the founding of our country, that's a really good. And you don't want to read a textbook. You don't want to read about a John Adams. Yeah, it's, that's a really it's good. Decent. It's yeah. a really good spyglass into um, what 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 they went through. But that you're you're right. It would take a lot of balls to walk into. Oh yeah, a courtroom. Which is would have been well what his they call throne it, room. The, yeah, that's what I meant. The throne room, oh, the court. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, the courtroom, uh, the throne room, um, and now he's a not an equal, but he's an equal. Yeah, with the, this guy that two years ago was a was a farmer. Yep. In in Massachusetts yep. is now being not only greeted but hosted by the former king of the colony that he just broke away. It, you're right. I mean, that's, I mean, we're I talk- mean, you can't even write it. We're talking about the King of England now yeah. who, you know, 
is deemed by birth to be the king, you know, God's uh, God's yeah. choice to yeah. lead England. I mean, this is just got his ass kicked by the, a bunch yeah. of farmers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, you know, you gotta love the story, though. But it's interesting how close of friends we have become over the yeah, you know, one of our strongest allies. So to this day, but um, real quick, just to sum this up, but uh, su- summer of seventeen eighty seven, a group of politicians. Uh, which include James Madison and Alexander Hamilton gathered in Philadelphia to draft a new constitution. Um, the Antifederalists were led by the first governor of Virginia, which was Patrick Henry. And for those of you who don't know what an- anti-federalism is, it's just the belief in uh, smaller, weaker government or yeah. non-existent government to some degree. Thomas Jefferson was a staunch anti-federalist. James That's why Madison, he's my favorite. Yeah. And then you have James Madison, who is is actually called the father of the Constitution, although many people will say Thomas Jefferson is that person. However, he was acting as the Secretary of State in his second term when that was actually happening. So when the Bill of Rights was being constructed, Jefferson was in Paris, which he attributes to a lot of his growth, you know, his, his philosophical growth and just, you know, things that, you know, he wrote later on. But anyways, um, so they, they met, um, they felt the new constitution gave the federal government too much power um, at the expense of the states. That was the anti-federalist view. Um, the debate over whether to ratify the constitution in several states hinged on the adoption of a Bill of Rights. Because if you remember, the Articles of Federation was yeah. weak yep. or Confederation was weak and just had no substance to it. So for them, the, the clincher, the linchpin of this entire uh, Congress that was happening was the adoption of a Bill of Rights that really... Uh, enumerated and established the the rights of the 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 basic the day to day citizens that would live within this country. Um, so the big concern was how to safeguard basic civil rights. Um, fearing defeat, the the pro constitution politicians called Federalists promised a concession to anti Federalists as a Bill of Rights. So the Bill of Rights essentially became the the commonplace groundwork for both anti and federal. You know, or anti-federalists and federalists. That was like, this was the agreement point. Well, that's I think always been the, and and Glenn Beck says this for anyone that listens to Glenn Beck. But um, I hate to you know be a poker like that. But I'm you know Glenn Beck always says that in America, we always used to come together on the Bill of Rights. Yeah, it didn't matter what your party affiliation yeah, was. Exactly, we always came together that the most important thing. In our country is the, the 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 Bill of Rights. The fact that that's what makes us unique. Uh, one other point that I want to make about our Constitution. I've said this before on previous podcasts, but I always like to make this distinction. What makes our constitu- Constitution unique? We're not the only ones that has a Constitution. A lot of countries have a Constitution. What makes our Constitution unique is, for lack of a better term, it's a negative Constitution. Meaning most constitutions are positive. They they spell out what the government is supposed to do, the the what what the government it, it kind of says oh the government is yeah. supposed to provide this for the people it's yeah. supposed to provide this for the people, our constitution is different, our constitution spells out what the government is not supposed to do it's a negative it restricts the government it says the government cannot infringe upon your freedom of speech it cannot infringe upon your freedom to uh, to uh, practice a religion yeah. how you see fit and it's the only constitution that i'm aware of that has a negative 
um, you know, overtone gives negative yeah. rights, not positive rights, and that's that's important because other than other than what's not expressly implied in the Constitution, you're you're free. You're free yeah. to do whatever you want. It's, and it's easy, It's an easier construct, too, if yes. you think about it. Bureaucracy evolves out of trying to do too much. Because now when you, when you have a positive constitution and the government is forced to do something, let's say the constitution says the government must provide housing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now the government now has to figure out a way to provide housing for everybody. Yeah. Because it has to. It's in the constitution. It must do that. So now it, it's at the barrel of a gun. It, it will force housing on the public. You may not be able to get to choose your house now because all it says is the government has to provide housing. Yeah. So now you don't get to choose your house. The government owns all the houses and it just gives you one. And you don't own it. You just so that 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 kind of gives the the reason why negative is better than positive. But I think that's important to note too because I think coming from where they were coming from, most of the founding fathers saw things like Napoleon and they saw yes. they saw dictatorships you know they and even pure democracy yeah they w- the the founding yes, fathers always true. say that you know pure pure democracy is nothing more than two wolves and a sheep de- deciding what's for lunch yeah and just for people that are not aware or have not been taught this correctly the united states is not a democracy mm-hmm. in the purest sense it is a constitutional republic that has elements of democracy yep peppered into the republic in the terms of how we vote in terms of how we can determine who represents us you know there there are elements of democracy that exist within it but we are we are we have an an authority that's established but it's not a person it's a thing and that's what we're talking about today which is the constitution if you really want to boil it down if you have to put a label i would say the best way to label the United States would be a democratic representative constitutional republic. Yeah. That's yeah. the best way to yeah. put it. Because there's no, you can't fit us easily into a box. Like yeah. A monarchy, that's pretty easy. You know, you got one person, but you can't really put the United States government into a box. And I think that's why it's created the most powerful, most well, wealthy looked, civilization in the history of mankind. It looked at the worst elements of what we were familiar with, Rome being a republic, yes. you know, the longest standing republic. Greek being a democracy. And, uh, you know, Greece, we, we saw that, you know, it was a republic that was governed by laws, but it eventually devolved into an autocracy, eventually becoming a dictatorship, essentially, you know, when yep. you see the various emperors that take over through periods of time. And then, of course, Greece, you know, being a democracy, it was purely governed by the 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 whims and the, the wills of random people at times. And, you know, in many cases, it just there was no there was no protection for the minority yes. within the scope of a democracy. And that's one thing to remember is that a democracy sounds great and true. But in the grand scheme of things, a democracy will eventually exclude the rights of minorities. And I'm not talking about people of color. I'm talking about people of certain viewpoints and opinions. You know, uh, the, the Constitution of the United States has no specificity with regards to a person's race, color, or gender, or whatever that case. It never addressed any of that. It just said that all men and women are created equal. That's all it ever said. Yep. We've just decided to expound that to a point to where we've overcome. We've bureaucratically, you know, <laughs> obfuscated the original truths of the Constitution by trying to add our intelligence to its wording. So, but anyways. Yeah. Um, but, so... 
what where do you want to start off on this? I guess is so. Um, you know, leading up to that, the 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 Federalists and the Anti-Federalists compromised on a Bill of Rights, so they had to start enumerating said rights, and they started with um, what they considered to be the most important uh, factors of a free society, which would be um, the ability to speak freely, to um, uh, assemble, um, to associate with whoever you choose freely, uh, the freedom to practice whatever religion you want to practice, however you see fit to practice that religion, um, the freedom of the press uh, to speak freely and, and, and tell truths um, uh, as long as you know they can print them, and uh, the freedom of the citizens to assemble and petition their government. Those were the tenets that they felt were the most important aspects of a free society. It's just limiting limiting what what the government can actually do. Um, so you have, obviously, the freedom of religion, freedom of speech, uh, and freedom of expression, freedom of press are all kind of, you know, stamped into one thing, and then the right to assemble and the right to uh, petition. So I think, you know, due to time constraints and, and, and things like that, we're probably going to break this up into a couple episodes. Um, so today, I think what we're going to focus mostly on is, um, I think what we'll do is we'll carve out the freedom of religion part because that that could be a whole episode oh, yeah. in and of itself, and it's pretty complex. Yeah, yeah. So I think we'll we'll concentrate today on on just the freedom of speech side of it, um, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, um, and. Um, you know the the freedom of I think we'll throw the freedom of the press in there too because it's kind of all all one. But so the actual text of the First Amendment reads as such: Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging important word abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Grievances. Um. One of the most important pieces of that, you know, with regards to what we're speaking about today, and I have it highlighted, is uh, abridging. Yes. The word abridging, if anybody's not familiar with what the word means, it just simply means to cut short, to cut down. Um, uh, there, the, the, there's an example given that even the right to free speech can be abridged. Yeah. Um, so the understanding is that the the original amendment was established so that no law because it says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of or establishing and abridging uh, the freedom of speech or the cutting short of the freedom of speech. In other words, as much as we can say, because they knew, I mean, and you know as well as I do, that we'll, we'll, we'll get to this later on, but just the sheer number of case law that has been uh, – adjured over with regards to what these various uh, scenarios that have come up with corporations, with individual rights, as it pertains to freedom of speech and just how case law has expanded out on that volume. So in other words, my understanding of why they, they named it that way, because there's no way in hell they could have ever grasped just how far reaching the idea of freedom of speech really is. So it was really important that the government would never try to limit 
the the way that we we talk about the freedom of speech and what it allows for and i think that's more to your point i know that um, the constitution was written in a negative tone expressing what the government can't do yes but what's interesting is that in light of restricting what the government can't do it opens up the door for what the citizens can do what the people can do and i think that's what is important about that phrase is no law respecting the abridging of the freedom of speech which means that we can continue to expand upon what freedom of speech means now i mean of course that's going to go through a lot of back and forth but i think it's important that we realize that freedom of speech is one of the broadest and most important elements of the Constitution, and it pretty much lends to every single piece of the Constitution yes. in one way, shape, or form. And that's why it's first, because every other right that you have, every single right that you have impinges on the yes. fact it, it, it's 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 impinges on the fact that you have the right to express yourself. If you don't have the initial right of freedom of speech, freedom of expression, and freedom of expression or an assembly, then you have none of those other rights mean anything. Yeah. You know, exactly. What yeah. good is the we're we're kind of uh, bucking the tiger here, but what good is the Second Amendment? What good is the Second Amendment if you can't assemble? Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's like okay, you have a gun, but you can't assemble with other people with guns to create a militia. So therefore, you're toothless with yeah. with that gun. Uh, I also think it's in, important to um, just as, point out that uh, the Supreme Court over time has. Um, you know, interpreted that the restrictions on the First Amendment or are the restrictions of the First Amendment apply to the entirety of the federal government, even though it's only uh, exp- expressly applicable to Congress. Because in the in the uh, in the First Amendment, it says Congress shall make no law. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't ex- explicitly say the entire federal government yes. is under this umbrella. But the Supreme Court, in precedent has established that the First Amendment applies to all of the federal government and not, and even the state governments and not just um, Congress. Well, it was a balancing act because, you know, again, it, it comes back to the whole anti-federalist, federalist argument that kind of started the inception of the Constitution. You had anti-federalists like John, uh, Jefferson and Patrick Henry that would have argued that the government has no say whatsoever with regards to our day-to-day lives. And I would disagree with that. You don't elect a government and leave it toothless. Yes. So there has to be, you have to have a government that has enough strength to be able to stand behind the Constitution and also stand in front of it. Yeah. And, you know, to protect it from against whatever should come at it. But on the flip side of that, with regards to... Um, you know, the Federalist argument, you can't make the government so strong as to leave the people toothless. So that, I mean, to your point, it's just, you know, there was that balancing act of trying to find, you know, again, it's that belief that it's either all or none with regards to the freedom of speech. And that's not just not true. I'm an, I'm a freedom of speech absolutist Um, to, to the, to the bottom of my core. I am, I do believe in the absolute freedom of speech. However, I understand that to have a civilized society um, that's safe, uh, you also have to make yeah. certain certain carve outs. Like, um, uh, and we'll get we'll get to this into in, in in a little bit deeper in just a minute. But there there are certain things that you are not allowed to do with with your freedom of speech. So, I think a, a good a good place to go now would be to kind of 
um, frame frame the limits uh, that we do have on our freedom of speech. I think the best place to start would be to talk about the different kinds of forums. Do you think that's a good place? Um, we can we can. Do you want to jump into that yet, or do you want to wait? We can touch on that here in a few minutes. I actually I had a quick um, quick breakdown of freedom of speech does not and freedom of speech does include oh, the okay. following. Okay. And these are just a couple of examples. By no means is this comprehensive. This sure. just gives a kind of a general overview. So, for example, freedom of speech includes the right to not to speak, specifically the right to salute the flag. So it does give you that right. And that was established by the Western Virginia Board of Education versus Barnett uh, in 1943. So it, it does give people the right to not have to salute the flag or specifically yep. because it, you know, I am a, I, I'm going to identify myself as a patriot. I believe yes. in this country. I believe what it stands for. I believe that, you know, it, it has the, it presents the best opportunity in this world for people to thrive and be the best that they can be in the context of what this world offers. At the same time, I don't think that you're, you ought to be respectful of the flag to the extent that I don't think I don't think it's right to burn it. I don't think it's right to spit on it. I don't think it's right to do those things. At the same time, I, I can understand, you know, given like the Vietnam War, I, I don't agree with the Vietnam War. I looking back and having known a lot of people that fought in the Vietnam War and seeing how they were treated when they came back from that so called not war or pseudo war. The conflict over in Vietnam, as they would call it. The or way whatever. we lawyer things. Yeah. But, you know, that being said is that, you know, there was an a extreme amount of, of regret or rather just um, apprehension about where the country was going at that time. And it evolved into riots at Berkeley and various campuses across the U.S. And there were other reasons and th- reasons why stuff like that was happening. But at the same time, we were seeing students being shot because they were wearing black armbands around their, their, their arms because they were protesting the war. They had every right to protest the war. We as libertarians protest the wars that, yep. you know, you know, we don't agree with the wars that we're getting involved with. I, I like everybody else, think that we stick our nose into too much information or too many people's businesses. Yeah. You know, when it comes down to it. So I really think World War One, World War Two, those are the only two. In my opinion, I think those are the only two wars that were actually justified. And look how much it took to get us into yep. it. And when it really comes down to it, it wasn't like a flippant light switch turn on. We were okay. We're going to go to war today. Yep. It, it took a lot before we got involved. Um, another example, uh, example is to use certain offensive words and phrases to convey, convey political messages. Freedom of speech includes this right. That was established by Cohen versus California in 1971. So you can use offensive words. You can yep. use phrases that would be considered. Um, I believe the quote from that decision was one man's obscenity is another man's lyric. Yeah. Yeah, and that's true. And, you know, we, we've gone down that road with regards to the word F-U-C-K or yep. fuck. You yep. know, there was, a, there was a time I remember where there was a big ad campaign or something from MTV or VH1 or I don't remember all those groups that were just, you know, they were debating whether this word was allowed or not or whatever the case yep. be. And it's like, you know, yeah, the word, you know, is kind of vulgar and, you know, shouldn't be used flippantly in every situation. I wouldn't recommend sitting down at dinner with your mother and dropping F-bombs. Fuck every- those fucking fuckers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, there's there's decorum 
there's you know there's things to keep in mind as civilized human beings that we should not cross certain lines but you know to say that somebody can't use that word is just a restriction of speech yeah so and i i think that's what cohen versus california established in that in that regards uh, the other thing is to contribute money under certain circumstances, parenthetical statement to political campaigns. So there was a time, I guess, when it was completely restrictive of being able to contribute to political campaigns. It was established by Buckley versus Vallejo in 1976 that people could contribute to campaigns, although that's that's become kind of a contention point yep. because there are so many behind the scenes thing going on that are questionable with regards to campaign financing. That one right there is what led to Citizens United, uh, the Citizens United verdict, because once they established that private citizens could contribute to political campaigns, then it was argued that why can't corporations then uh, contribute because corporations are a citizen of themselves in, in, in a certain amount of way. So therefore Citizens United granted the same rights to corporations that everyday private citizens had. So that that was like a jumping point for Citizens United. Which makes sense. I mean, and to, truth be told, it has it's it's what's fueling a lot of the uh, Confederation of States or what do they call it? The not the Confederation of the, States. The uh, uh, the movement right now. The to convention. Convention. The convention. Sorry, not states. confederation. Yeah. <laughs> that was civil war. Yeah, that was something else. Convention of states. <laughs> um, but uh, also to adver- advertise commercial products and professional services with some restrictions. Uh, Virginia Board of Pharmacy uh, versus Consumer Council, 1976, established that co- uh, you could advertise commercial products and professional services within certain restrictions. Um I think we've gone <laughs> probably a little over the deep end with the commercial uh, stuff yeah. because it seems like now it's getting almost to the point of like um, subliminal messages. You know, you know how they used to do with Coca-Cola back yep. in the 30s and 40s and 50s and movies and stuff. They would play those subliminal messages and then they outlawed that. But you know, I think it what it is is coercive things that kind of fall within the realm of coercive it's not wrong for you to present a product to somebody what's wrong is when you start twisting the person's arm to want that product which in my own estimations the sheer number of pharmaceutical commercials that go on on tv are a little bit coercive as far as i'm concerned but that's my opinion I'm not. Uh, I'm not a Supreme Court justice by no means, so I'm. I'll never sit over that type that's of decision. That's one thing that that you know, kind of off topic, but that's one thing that really bothers me about our society is the drug commercials oh, on yeah. TV. No other. No other place in the world, and lawyers. Yeah, like there's no. You go to Europe and, and other places around the world. They don't have commercials for personal injury lawyers, and they don't no. have. They don't have, you know, commercials for. Pfizer and yep. and all these other drug companies and they don't have they just they they just don't have that you know did you take mesh do you have some sort of yeah. mesh in your thing <laughs> you call this number you could be part of a class action that lost it's like we didn't, they don't have that stuff in other places yeah. in the world it's just weird well i mean wasn't it you know the Michael Moore, for all his faults, the one thing I do appreciate about bowling for Columbine mm-hmm. is that he really pointed out the stark uh, difference between the U.S. and Canadian advertising. Yeah, and that you know, and to your point, it was that Canada really doesn't focus, like especially in terms of its media news. That's what I was like just going to say. Their news is very much different. Yeah, as it's well. it's placated. It's it's very much, and I don't know things may. It's have also state sponsored. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. But so I mean, but the 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 principles there, the 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 method by which they're getting it across might be questionable. Yeah. So yeah. Um. But yeah, to that regards, I I was thinking about that stupid episode of. Do you remember that TV show Sliders? Yeah. Uh, where they travel. Time travelers. Yeah, well, they go to, to different dimensions of Earth, and and every Earth is different, and there's different. It, like one earth is ruled by Nazis. The other is ruled by crow magnum men. And, wow. you know, just so many different variations. But one of the episodes, they go to earth and every other person is a lawyer in the United States. So oh, it's wow. like one out of one out of two people is a lawyer. Wow. So the funny thing was, is that they were at it like a hot dog stand. And he, I think he accidentally spilled hot coffee on himself or something. And some random guy walks up with his card to him <laughs> as he's sitting there. So to your point, you know, it's just, we've become inundated with yeah. that, that mentality. Better call Saul. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, the last, the last point under this one is to engage in symbolic speech, uh, i.e. burning the flag in protest, Texas first Johnson, 1989. And then, uh, the United States first Eichmann in 1990 established that, you could do that. Again, I don't agree with it. No. But that doesn't mean that you can't do it. No, here's here's my thing. I wouldn't burn a Russian flag. Yeah. One, because it's disrespectful to the Russian people. Yep. I may not agree with the Russian government, but the, but the people have nothing to do with yeah. that. So I feel like it's disrespectful to them. Not only that, but I'm not spending money on something I'm just going to fucking burn. Yeah. So that that's the second thing is I'm a cheap ass. <laughs> that's the more important that's reason. That's the more important reason <laughs> is I'm not going to spend money on something I'm just going to destroy. But um, as far as what freedom of speech includes, that's just a small small spattering of things that it allows oh, yeah. for. Yeah. Um, as far as what it does include or does not include the right to, one of them, and we'll talk about this more in detail, is to incite imminent lawless action. Yes which I think is one of the things it's that you wanted the, to bring yeah. up. Um, that was established by Brandenburg versus Ohio, which there's a Brandenburg test yep. that we'll talk about. Yep. Uh, that was 1969. Um, uh, to make the other, another thing that the free speech does not include the right to do is to make or distribute obscene materials. Obscenity R- laws. Uh, Roth versus United States, 1957. Um, so I th- the, the interesting thing with that is that Pornography is allowed, so I I'd have to look into this more in the context of how it is allowed. You know how it's, it's considered. There are certain carve outs for freedom of speech for what is considered to be artistic, and because it's a movie, gotcha. It's art. Um, th- that could be debated. I don't see. I think that art should have some sort of benefit to society. Yeah, and. While I am a, I'm a First Amendment advocate. So if you want to watch Pornhub and spend your time doing that, by all means, you know, <laughs> knock yourself out, so to speak. Um, <laughs> but where's the Rick roll on that one? <laughs> but um, but as far as you, you know, should it be a public thing? No, and 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 that's where I, that's where I think that we're we're right in limiting things that how do I want to put it you shouldn't have that kind of stuff forced upon you if you don't if you don't agree with it so that's where the first amendment comes in and and says that there's a the, the one restriction i believe they call it time manner and or time place and manner is is one of the one of the um restrictions that they put on the first amendment is that there's a time and a place and a manner to which you can express your First Amendment rights. And 
pornography being that you there's a time and a place for that it's well, not you can't just you can't just sit on a public train and watch a big screen tv <laughs> of pornography yeah you just can't do that it's that affects there's, the freedom the rights and freedoms of other people that don't want to see that it'd stuff. be the equivalent of running around without any clothes on exactly a public, exactly yeah it's there's the same thing there's decency laws mm-hmm. and whatnot so and plus nobody wants to see your naked ass no. running around anyways yeah, the, exactly um but i think too on that on that point is that um you know it's it's just that idea that uh like public broadcasting and whatnot can't just willy-nilly throw up like some advertisement for uh, uh flynn you know with hustler yeah. magazine because or there's some no other. Because there's no because there's no gate there. There's yeah. no gateway. With 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 like ABC, NBC, all the broadcasting channels, they're just they're just broadcasted out into the air. Yeah. So anybody can pull those out of the air for free, and there's no restrictions on yep. that. So that's why there's kind of different laws for that. Now, HBO, um, Showtime, and stuff, they yeah. can play whatever they want because you actually have to pay for those services, yep. and you—it's not just freely out there, so they can do whatever they want. So that—that's that. Um, one of the other things was to burn draft cards as an anti-war protest in, in the United States versus O'Brien in mm-hmm. 1968. Uh, draft hasn't been something that's really been much of a topic, you know, for many, 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 many years. Yeah, um, it's still a thing. People think that it's not a thing, and it's, it's still, still a thing, and it's still controversial. Yep. Uh, from from our perspective, from our perspective, I think it's controversial. You know, to you know, force somebody into fighting, but at the same time, you know, I think about how many countries are kind of, you know, they would be rolled over in a day, you know, if they didn't require yep. that for their citizens. So I think it's contextually based. I don't think it's, it's like a like one size. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, you're fine. It's not like it's conscription no. in the United States. You know what I mean? Like, we do have a carve out for conscientious, conscientious ob- objectors. Yeah, I can't. Conscientious objectors. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> we have a carve Words out for hard. them and and religious objections and things like that because some people just don't believe in violence yeah. and don't believe in war, and we shouldn't be forcing people. And that is a good point. There is a that. there is an exit. Yes, there is a potential exit there. Of course, you know. That brings up questions about some other things we've been talking about in the last couple of years, but I'm not going to bring that up because yeah. that's a rabbit hole. Yeah, rabbit, rabbit trail. trail. Um, the following on to the next thing to permit students to print articles in a newspaper over the objections of the school administration. So students can't just willy nilly print anything they want in a school newspaper because that yes. newspaper, uh, the the rules and modicums are established by an administration. So this kind of lends back to... That was the Hazelwood School District versus Colmeyer. Yes, yes. 1988. In 1988. Yep. And I think that kind of lends back to organizational rights, too, in some regards, with regards to, you know, can can employees just do whatever they want within the context of an employer's private space? No. No. No, employee, employers have every right to kind of define the rules by which... You know, employees conduct themselves. And that's the, that falls under the captive audience clause. Yes, that um, is true. Which I don't know if we want to get to that now or just touch no, on I, that later. Yeah, I mean that that's something you can just briefly roll over. To be honest, the captive audience is when you're when you're at work, you're 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 in one, you're in somebody else's house. Yeah. Uh, freedom of speech doesn't apply to private. Yes. Private homes, exactly. private businesses. It only applies to the government. So if I'm at my employer and they employ me, they make the rules inside that building. So my, my to a certain extent, my First Amendment rights don't um, don't apply there. Now that doesn't mean that they can't 
they can restrict all of your First Amendment rights. Yes. But for the most part, you can't petition at work. You can't protest at work. They can, they can, so you can't just use words. You can walk words. out. You can, you can, you can walk, walk out. out and protest and stuff like that, but you could get fired if yeah, you want. That's you, their prerogative. They, yep. they don't have to support that. So I think, um, I think that's a good, uh, a good spot. Why don't we get into the different forums? Because sure. then that'll, that'll kind of explain. So, another carve out that they make for the first amendment specifically for speech relating to um petitions and um you know uh protests and things like that there are certain places where your first amendment rights are absolute and then there's some places where there are some restrictions so the the most uh, the I guess we'll put it this way the least restrict the re- least restrictive forum um, that that is carved out is what they call a traditional public forum. This is places like public parks, sidewalks, and and things that have always been traditionally open to political speech and debates, like uh, uh, town halls and and you know some some. Some towns have like an amphitheater in a public park, and that that all is a traditional public forum. Um, so the government may not discriminate against speakers, especially dependent upon their views. So you can't say um, that that a, that a Christian group can use the park f- for a rally on Saturday, but a Nazi group is not allowed to use the or park BLM on Sunday. Or, or any, BLM. Any, any group saying. that you want to throw into that. I, I use yeah. Nazis because they're usually the most offensive. Yeah. And they yeah. have to be allowed to speak just as much as anyone else. So that's why I use that because it's kind of jarring. Um, and then as mentioned earlier, there's um, they carve out what's called a time, place, and manner, meaning you can't just – you can't hold a rally at two o'clock in the morning in middle in the middle of a quiet neighborhood. Yeah, that that you're you're at that point you're disturbing the peace and you're you're not you're you're infringing upon other people's rights to for your rights. So that you can't just protest in the middle of a private neighborhood at two in the morning. Kind of time and a place. Me, it kind of reminds me of the blue laws that were pretty prevalent in like even downtown New York City, like Brooklyn specifically. Um, where they would basically they had municipal ordinances in places where businesses couldn't operate on Sundays. Um, you know, in some ways that kind of you know reminds me of that mentality where you know a, a community wanted to set aside time for some reason or another to kind of be solemn and quiet and set aside. So yeah. I could imagine that they wouldn't never approve any kind of a protest or any kind of public demonstration within the context of that time frame that they're restricting under those blue laws. Yeah. So it's just like certain towns have, um, I, I forget what they call it now, but it's like disturbing the peace laws where they have carve outs where, you know, after 11 o'clock at night, yeah. y- you really shouldn't be really, really loud. So they, they kind of give you a lot of leeway, but after 11 PM, you know, you're supposed to quiet down and, and let, let the neighborhood settle yeah. down and things like that. So, um, in traditional public forums, the restrictions made by um, the government must serve a very compelling state interest, and they must be narrowly ta- tailored to meet the needs of that interest. So they, the government can't just willy-nilly say, "All right, yeah, you can't do it today." You, you know what I mean? There has to be there has to be a legitimate reason why the government would restrict your your ability to exercise your free free speech 
in a traditional public forum. Do you have an forum. example of a location that would constitute or fall under that? Yeah, like, um, uh, let me let me see. So, like, serve a compelling state interest and are narrowly tailored. So, you can you can say yes, you can have a political rally in a public park, but you're going to have to do it on this day between these times. Oh yeah. That would be them limiting you to a time and place. But they're allowing you to exercise your free speech, but they're saying, look, we can't just have everybody always protesting all the time. So here is your slot. Yeah. And it's well, just, that makes sense because the municip- that would just be a... If people were protesting all the time, then people that just want to enjoy the park yeah. can't just go and enjoy the exactly. park. So they're, they're... It's called play nice rules. Yes, they're balancing <laughs> they're balancing the rights of people that just want to walk their fucking dog yeah. against people that are going to be shouting through a megaphone. And then there's what's called designated public forums. These are um, places where the government might open up public property for, for public expression. Um, it's a little bit more lim- limited um, to what you can do in those designated forums. Um, the government is not obligated to keep them open. Um, so if you if if they open up a forum, there's no obligation for them to keep it open. So if they want to close it, they can close it, and you can't claim that them closing it is a violation of your First Amendment rights. So if they were using like um, the steps of the the two examples, a monument, yeah, or, the, yeah, the two examples that they give are like municipal theaters and meeting rooms at state universities. Okay, so like a state-run university has to open up its meeting rooms for public, uh, or I guess doesn't have to open up its meeting rooms for public forum. But if it does open up its uh, meeting rooms for public forums, then it receives the same First Amendment protections as a traditional public forum. So if they decide to open up their, like a meeting room in the state university for Ben Shapiro, they can't, they can't limit him in any way. So what I mean by that is, is, they can't open up a meeting room for for um, the Young Turks and ha- let them have a show, and then the next day deny it to Ben Shapiro because of his viewpoints. Yeah. They they still can't discriminate on viewpoint, but if they if they want to say okay, no more no more speeches in this meeting room, they have the ability to do that. That would uh, be like Penn State. Or, yeah, they would have to close it down for everybody. Um, and and that that's a designated public forum. And then there are limited forums which is exactly as it seems. I'm not going to go too deep into this because it's pretty self-explanatory. The government may limit access to public school meeting rooms, for example, uh, like a like a like an elementary school auditorium is a limited forum. Um, it's it's used. They, they only allow speakers conducting school related activities. It may not, however, exclude speakers from a religious group simply because they intend to expl- express religious views. So if they're opening it up um, to a religious group or something like that, they can't say to that group, you can't mention Jesus because we've already invited you to speak at this place. So they can't discriminate against your views simply because it's a limited forum. Yeah. Okay. Um, And then there's non-public forums, which are neither traditional public forums nor designated public forums, um, reasonable uh, and... They can restrict the contents of speech as long as the restriction is reasonable and the restriction does not discriminate based on the speaker's viewpoint. So there's a there's a trend to all these places. All of these p- 
places can restrict your freedom of speech as long as they're not restricting it because of the speech that you're giving. Exactly. So they yeah. can restrict it, but they can't restrict it because of what you're saying or because of the viewpoints that you hold. So if they make the declaration that they've had, if they just need to utilize that space for other things in the coming year, then yes, I mean that's that's, that's well fine. well and fine. And but good. they can't just say we're not going to open this space because we don't let Nazis speak here. Yeah. They, exactly. they just can't do that. But I guess I guess the question is is that you know, with regards to the KKK, would you ever let them come into a school to in a school no. I would say that would be obvious. No. Um and they probably wouldn't invite a religious group either. Yeah. Because of um the establishment clause which we'll get into and I think next week. But. I think that what kind of plays into um you know public forums are kind of a double-edged sword, you know, when you think about it because you would like for the ability for things that are at least for the most part considered holistic to some end, you know, that pre- pre- present at least some good end to its content that it's yeah. presenting, but at the same time to your point when we have laws like we do in the U.S. that are protecting free speech, sometimes you have to restrict access to these forms in order to be equal. Yes. You know? Exactly. So I think there, there, is a, there is a flip side to that. Because th- the reason why I point that out is because there's a tendency for groups on the far right to get all up in arms because they don't get an opportunity to speak at a place. But if they maybe perhaps looked at the entire list of individuals that were applying to speak there they would then see why they weren't allowed because maybe the kkk and the black panthers and you know all these other like maybe groups that are going to present ideologies that they don't present it to the kids necessarily even though there are some on that list that might be good they all have to restrict them all yeah so that they don't discriminate against the ones that they actually don't want to speak which is why people have the right to have private forms, yeah. which is churches, which is you know, their own property. Your which, own property. Yeah. I can hold a rally at my house as long as I'm not disturbing my neighbor. I can hold a rally at my house anytime I want. Yeah. And I can say whatever I want to say. Yep. Uh, whatever I want to say. And, and another another distinction um, that I want to make is there is no carve out for truth. Yeah. Speech does not yeah. have to be true. Yep. And I think that's a really big thing, for better or worse. I mean, there there are reasons why that, that could be a bad thing, and that's also reasons why that's good. But the biggest argument right now in today's climate is that you don't want to allow freedom of speech because then people can just lie. Well, yeah, that's always been the way it's been. But the problem is is that when the the word lie, I mean – can be mischaracterized. Yes. Truth can be mischaracterized as a lie and a lie can be mischaracterized as truth. So, and that's why it all has to be allowed to some extent, you know, as long as it follows a certain modicum of respect to the audience that is there, you know what I mean? It's not, not like some two people butt ass naked up on the stage doing obscene acts. Yeah. That's not freedom of speech. That's (laughs) haven't you ever haven't any, hasn't anyone in today's world ever heard the phrase, don't believe everything you hear. Yeah. And don't believe everything you read. Yeah. Because the point of that is, is there's a lot of shit out there that's not real. And it's your job. You have to take the initiative to do the research and find out if the shit that these people are spouting is truthful 
or if it's bullshit. That's your job. Yeah. That's not that's not the government's job to decide what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's false, which leads us to the ministry, the ministry of truth. Yeah. The the disinformation joke. governance board. It's not the government's job to decide what's true. If it's the government's job to decide what's true, then a lot of shit that the government has done would be denied as a lie. Yeah, and it, it, I don't know who's listening to this podcast today, but if you're a liberal, if you are somewhere in between, if you are far right, alt right, alt left, alt upside down, right side up, purple, yeah, whatever, green, blue, whatever. gold, whatever the case be, understand that this, an establishment of an organization like this, can go many ways. I hate to use the slippery slope argument, but this is one of the um, slipperiest, it, steepest slopes that you could ever impose. It's not on even anybody. a slope; it's falling off the yeah, edge. Yeah, like it's a cliff. It, it's, it's a slippery cliff. It's is what it is. It, they're at the bottom of it. As this far is as Hitler's I'm... wet dream. <laughs> yeah, basically. In all, in all honesty, if if Hitler could have had a Ministry of Truth, I think he he did, but it was like the, the Gestapo was underground. It wasn't like this is. This is out in the open. Yeah. This is like, oh yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna limit your speech. Well, it just it all comes back to that, um, you know, why are they starting this organization? Is it really even necessary to begin with, based off of the stated mission statement for the said organization? Because they already have departments within the CIA, within the FBI, within the NSA, within Homeland Security that already address these yeah. issues to some extent. So for them to feel the necessity to come up with yet another bureaucratic bullshit organization to monitor this stuff just tells me that they're turning their eye not so much on the external but in the internal and that that should be alarming to every single person in this country and this is this leads us i think this is a good segue into another way that the government limits your freedom of speech and that's what's called prior restraint prior restraint is when the government uh, government action prohibits the speech or other expression before it even happens so what this ministry of truth or this disinformation governance board, as you want to call it, what that's going to do is that's going to make make people think twice before they even say something. Yeah, that's right now in 2022. The biggest threat to freedom of speech is prior restraint. It's not what people that that people are getting in trouble for what they say is that the fact that people aren't even saying things. Yes. Yeah. The people are staying silent just because they're afraid of the the Twitter backlash or they're afraid yeah, of exactly. they're afraid of what's going to happen in the public sphere. That's prior restraint. And that's a limit on freedom of speech and as well. It, and it's more than just backlash. It's you know, it's not we're not talking about I made a comment and somebody retorted or whatever the case be and told me I was wrong or whatever the case be. It's it it becomes it's the doxing now. Yeah. Like doxing should be illegal. I mean, there was just a report that there was some kind of uh, somebody that was doxing people from uh, libs of TikTok. Yep. Which is wrong. Mm -hmm. I, I don't care what the people's views are. on. I don't care your party affiliation either. Yeah. If the Republicans start doxing people, I'm exactly. going to get on their ass just as exactly. fast as I can. That's not right. It's not right. Because you're pointing out somebody's personal details. You know, if you want to talk about in 2022, one of the biggest things that comes up in conversation is safe space. Well, I, I hate that term because it, it's just asinine as far as I'm concerned. But for me, you know, safe space, you know, it's always been... A designated public forum? Yeah. Or <laughs> or your house is your castle. A limited public forum? You know, the house is your castle mentality where, you know, and you're operating within your castle. You're, 
you're on forums, public social forums, you know, at least ones that are identifying themselves as such. And then you're not only getting people telling you that you're wrong for what you believe, but you have people going the extra step and trying to figure out where you live and then trying to get you kicked off of forums and trying to, you know, it goes and We're not even talking about people that are, uh, in you know, are guilty of infraction against like modicums and norms. We're not talking about people that are jumping into forums and calling everybody assholes and, you know, calling people by, you know, obscene names that are, you know, uncalled for and off-color comments to people. We're not even talking about those type of comments. We're talking about Joe Blow that decides he just wants to share his opinion on something new that's in the news that day, and then everybody seems like, okay, we got to shut this guy down because he's talking about something we don't agree with. That's what we're talking about. Absolutely. And I'm so tired. I am so fucking absolutely tired of these namby-pamby whiners that want to complain about, well, I'm allowed free speech. I'm allowed to call you a fucking asshole, and I'm allowed to drive you down in my car if I want because I don't agree with you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Let's hear it. Let's hear it for Dave. Let's self-congratulate Dave. But, but you know what? I'm, I, I'm just tired of people that don't grow up with these kind of conversations. I want to sit down. Here's my, here's my thought. I want to be able to sit down across the table with somebody that I am diametrically opposed to in both opinions and both viewpoints. And I want to have a conversation. Yep. I want to see what they think because there are probably a lot of things I'm wrong about. And I said it to somebody uh, in, within one of these forums. I said, you know what? You're very – I told the person you're wrong on two counts of something that you said. But be thankful that you're allowed to be wrong. Yeah. And that's the whole underlying premise of the, the freedom of speech gives you the right to be wrong. Absolutely. Within the – you know, I can be wrong. We, we probably have said things on – this podcast that may have not been completely researched at times. We're not going to sit here on our high horses yep. and pretend like we know everything, but we're going to be honest about it and admit to the fact that maybe we didn't research it enough or whatever the case be. Uh, I'm also man enough. If you present me new evidence, I, I'm willing to change my mind, but you have to present me with reasonable, articulable evidence. Don't just yes. call me a Nazi and say I'm a exactly. racist. Show me some evidence to the exactly. contrary, and maybe you can change my mind. But it's respectful, too. Exactly. It's, it's, but, but anyways, I mean, that's, yeah. What, 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 more, what, what do you see this involving into with, with regards to the... the um, oh, the, the governance board? My, my, worry, my worry for that is right now they're stating that it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be um, strictly for, like, misinformation surrounding the, the U.S. border and Russian information Which involving in fine, elections and all that stuff. But what I f feel in my heart of hearts that it's going to devolve into is the same thing that we all experienced during the pandemic. How many people had uh, Facebook posts or Twitter posts taken down or blocked or or little little caveats put put you know little notes put on the bottom of the the post or whatever for saying things like uh covid may have or originated in a lab and your post got taken down that's that's a limit on freedom yeah. of speech we now find out that that was 
true, or at least could be true. Well, then you had people like John Stewart, yeah, who even like publicly, and everybody was like astounded. Oh my God, they were so mad. Like maybe a pangolin <laughs> mated with a turtle. I mean, it's like, and John Stewart has never been, you know, on the conservative side of things. He was just expressing some common sense with regards to the facts that were presented. Yep. But anymore, you can't even express. It's getting to the point to where you can't even express your opinion based off of facts. That's right. Uh, and that's the thing is that it's it's getting to the point where facts aren't even accepted. But, you know, and I, I'm not going to sit here again on my high horse and ex- expect people to believe every fact, F-A-C-T quotation mark, that comes out of some research or some paper or some newspaper or some media organization or some politician's voice or uh, soapbox, you know, or whatever the case be. I, I, I'm not expecting people to you know just latch on to this stuff but there was a time and this is going back a little bit to how we started this whole conversation today thomas jefferson james madison alexander hamilton who coincidentally has a great musical that's out about him which i absolutely love my wife loves the musical hamilton it's phenomenal but you know nonetheless that being said um These were people that sat down and read. These were people that thought out everything. They didn't, we were talking about how they didn't have distractions of Twitter. They didn't have the distractions of Facebook. They didn't have the distraction of cell phones and media and all this other nonsense that we deal with. And they were people that dedicated the majority of their time to constructive thought. Yes. So they, 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 they mold through stuff. They, they work through things. You can see their, their ideas forming and their opinions forming through letters that they've written back and forth between other people. These weren't overnight assumptions that they just pulled out of their ass. But these these ideas that kind of conceptually just build the framework of the Constitution were things that were molded over with blood, sweat, and tears, quite literally. And what drives me nuts is that we get so up in arms over some person across the table from us trying to express their thoughts on something that they might have done some research on, but suddenly because we have some other alternative fact, we shoot them down. Here's here's something that I think that, that kind of goes along with that. It goes along with today's atmosphere, um, and it fits into the podcast, which is kind of neat too. Um, that but, never happens. Yeah. Well, think about it this way. One of the, one of the other carve-outs for um, freedom of speech is libel. Um, yeah. you, you're not allowed to just print nonsense what is the definition of so here's libel? here's this is this is this is the point that i want to make think about when i'm when i read this definition of libel think about keep twitter keep twitter in your mind okay when i read this definition libel is a method of defamation expressed by print writing pictures signs effigies or any communication embodied in physical form that is injurious to a person's reputation, exposes a person to public hatred, contempt or ridicule, or injures a person in his business or profession. Hmm. Hmm. Memes. Memes. (laughs) Memes are, and and Twitter itself is just one big pit of libel. Yeah. So when when you call somebody a Nazi on Twitter, that's libel. Yeah. And on, unfortunately, it is. it is, you know, people, I think, I think that more people should take that case up to the courts because, um, 
there's there's some there's some carve outs for libel. So first off, uh, we'll just we'll just start off with how you can prosecute libel. If you're a public figure or a celebrity or a government individual, somebody that lives in the public eye, it's very hard for you to prosecute libel because your actions are are subject to higher scrutiny than an average private citizen because you're in the public eye. So uh, New York Times v. Sullivan in 1964 says that a public official um, has to actually prove actual malice. You have to prove malice in libel in order for you to have a successful case. Protections guaranteed by the First Amendment outweigh a state's interest in compensating individuals for damage to their reputations unless actual malice, the actual malice test, is fulfilled. Yeah, and I think the important thing to note with regards to libel, and you'll probably bring up a couple of the other categories here in a second, is that it has to be proven in a court of law that there was libel. This wasn't this isn't one of those situations where libel can just be stamped on every single thing that's, you know, posted out there. So I think that's important to note. And then Curtis, uh, Curtis Publishing Co. v. Butts, haha, uh, 1967, <laughs> uh, com- compounded upon the public officials um in New York versus Sullivan, where it says that public figures meaning celebrities, not only just public officials, but actual public uh, public figures like celebrities also must prove actual malice had been the intent of a libelous claim against them. Um, And then compounded again um, by Gertz v. Robert Welch in 1974. That one now says, though, that no libel exists for private individuals or no, sorry, libel is easier to uh, prosecute. I guess prosecute's not the word, but private individuals, even when the matter is not of public concern. So extends further compens- through compensation in, of actual injury than what a public figure would be able to do. So I guess what I'm trying to get through is that private citizens actually have a better protection from libel than a public figure would. So recovery of presumed punitive damages is not permitted without showing malice. The only exception is when the liability is based on showing knowledge of falsity or a reckless disregard of the truth. So if you lie about someone, a a private person, especially on Twitter, call me a Nazi, prove that I'm a Nazi, otherwise it's a lie. And I I could convict you for your libel if I really wanted to push it. And I think that's an interesting point is that within the context of, because here's, we've talked about this before, is what what separates speech and harm, you know? It, it, you know, because in my estimations, my, my understanding of harm is a very hard and fast rule. It's something that causes physical, um, very direct um, emotional, uh, and when I say emotional, I mean like say in the instance of a spouse uh, dr- verbally abusing another spouse, you know, day in, day out to the point to where that person requires psychiatric help or it turns or evolves into a divorce or something of that, that, that kind of physical harm. I think there's, there's degrees of emotional harm that people need to just get over. You know what I mean? I think there's, 
but there's some emotional harm that I think needs to be quantified. Um, and it has been in the terms of like, uh, family court rulings and whatnot that have happened in certain search. I mean, look at, uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard right now. Yeah. That's big in the news. That's what's going on. What was it? She put poop in in the bed or something. Yeah, did, she did some real nasty there, shit. There's some no pun intended, but <laughs> but you know you know what I mean. It's like there's there's certain things that um, would qualify as actual harm. Yes. you know things that would fall within the context of harm. But with regards to libel, you know I sometimes wonder about this because. Everybody tries to stamp the word harm onto everything. And I think this is there, – there has to be a hard and fast quantification of what represents harm because I think that what happens is that we become very loosey-goosey is the best way I can put it with regards to who we can go after and who we can't. But at the same time, I think that there is an understand buffer you know, in a civilized society, let's say that we're an actual civilized society, which we're slowly becoming not we are that. Not, but okay. um, I mean, there's still we can pretend for we a little can bit. pretend, but you know, let's let's say that there's there's a buffer. I believe that there's a, there should be a buffer between free speech and harm. And I, in, in my estimations, and we'll talk about this more in the next segment when they do when we do religious freedom and whatnot. I think you can call it whatever you want, but I think there's a certain level of grace and mercy that kind of filters its way in between speech and harm. And I think that we've we've lost that element. Um, I don't know if it's something that needs to be quantified legally speaking. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like if 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 uh, if a person if two people are going back and forth at it, they're they're probably going to get pretty heated to a point where they start throwing some comments at each other, you know, that, you know, but, you know, within the context of those two individuals, are those two individuals um, going to walk away from that conversation irrespective of what they said to each other? Or are they going to hold on to every single word that's said and then use that as a defamation yeah. case. You know what I mean? Yep. So there has to be some kind of a medium with or a, some kind of a middle ground with regards to what quantifies or what qualifies harm with regards to free speech. Because I think we're just we're throwing around that standard so flippantly nowadays that it just it's like that's what I think in my estimations that they're using as their qualif or their justification for like kicking people off of forums for whatever reason. Now again, back to the whole thing. Twitter is a private organization. Twitter can set whatever standards it wants. If Twitter doesn't want people to have viewpoints of certain if if they don't want anybody of a right to middle leaning with regards to any kind of political viewpoints or social moral standards, fine. And then just state that in your freaking mission statement. Don't lead people on to believe that you're going to be willing a to neutral do public yeah, forum. Don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, do you have a right to establish whatever policies you want? Absolutely. You do. Every company has a right. We don't believe otherwise. We believe every company has a right to exercise its business within the scope of the U.S. laws that allow it to be profitable and allow it to execute business in whatever means or manner in which it deems best. At the same time, don't freaking advertise yourself as something that you're not. Exactly. No, that's, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, and to that point, I mean, like if if Twitter originally would have come out and said we are a we're we're a forum for 
liberal thought, left-leaning liberal yeah. thought. Nobody would have cared. Nobody would have cared because right-wing people wouldn't have signed up knowing that their viewpoints are not welcome there. Um, but when you open your – it just goes back to the uh, designated public forum. I would say that Twitter would qualify even though it's not a, it's not a government entity that opened it up. But Twitter, the company, the private company, opened its opened its space up to um, to public debate. Yeah, and yeah. and once you open it up to public debate, you sh- you should have to balance your restrictions on both sides. And that's an important point. This all ties back into that. Yeah. Um, so uh, another kind of the cousin let's move on to this the kind of the cousin of libel would be slander which is just a a spoken version of libel essentially but slander is a false statement usually made orally which defames another person unlike libel damages from slander are not presumed so under libel the damages are presumed it's presumed that when somebody writes false statements about you and publishes them in a public forum, that there's going to be damages to your reputation. So they side on the they err on the side of the plaintiff when it comes to libel. Would you say that there's usually quantifiable monetary losses that are presumed usually. as a result of yes. libel? Usually. usually, which kind of undergirds or establishes that precedent yes. or ruling. Whereas slander. Um, the the false statements and whatnot are not presumed, and they must be proven by the plaintiff. So the burden of proof in in, in slander is on the plaintiff. The burden of proof in libel is on the defendant. Defense, yeah. So the defendant has to prove that what they what they printed or what they did was in good faith and not intended to damage the reputation of said person, whereas in slander, the plaintiff has to make that, make that claim. That makes sense. I mean, that really makes sense because, yeah, because it's all because of that assumption piece, the difference between slander. Okay. So, so yeah. in order, in order to prove that, so under the umbrella of slander would be defamation. And there's like a, there's like a four tier uh, test to prove whether somebody has been defamed. And uh, those four prongs, it has, I think it has to actually meet all of these qualifications to be considered defamation. So it has to be a false statement purporting to be fact, publication or communication. Okay, so no, it's any of these things. So, it sh- it, okay, start over. <laughs> it has, a to lot be, of it has to be one of the first three things and the fourth thing. So okay. we'll put it this way. A false statement purporting to be fact publication or communication of of that statement to a third person fault amounting to at least negligence and damages for some harm caused to the person or entity who is subject of the statement so i guess it does have to require all four so it has to be false it has to be a false statement purported to be true in order to be defamation um it has to be published or communicated to somebody else so it can't just be somebody talking to themselves. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I can't slander you to myself. Um, that, and that's so and so no good. Pizza. Yeah, you can whisper anything you want under your breath. <laughs> I can whisper it too. <laughs> yeah, you can't be sued for that. And the the fault must amount to at least negligence. Okay. So so it has to be. It can't. It can't be something that you did unwillingly. 
Gotcha. You, you can't accidentally slander somebody. It yeah. has, there has to be some sort of negligence there. And the damages are some harm caused to the person or entity who is subject to the statement. So that's kind of like your, your, your four-pronged test there. So defamation is kind of hard to prove as well. Yeah, it, you it, it, it historically has been. It's always got a high burden of proof. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Because you don't want anybody like, let's say Enron. Oh, <laughs> Back in the day. Oh, like, yeah. Enron, uh, New York Times publishes an article saying, you know, telling people what Enron did. Enron should would be able to turn around and sue them for libel, but everything they said was true. So, I mean, there's yeah, I guess you, you get where I'm kind of going. So with that, basically, so. if Enron wasn't cooking the book, so to yes. speak, and they published an article stating to the contrary, yes, then they could turn around and sue. It's just like with the Project Veritas having sued the New York Times, yeah, uh, and having and won, won and won. Uh, what was it like thirty, forty million dollars yeah. or something that they won? And Nick Sandman and CNN, yeah, yep, and Washington Post, yep. He sued them both and and won a butt ton of money yeah uh, i mean he got he's got fuck you money but now. i mean but that i mean that right there is the the balancing point i would say you know if somebody is that hard bent about proving uh defamation uh they have to have a pretty strong case and the willingness to back it up with time and money to prove it you know what i mean because yeah. there are court costs legal fees time you know who knows how much time you know, to research such a case because, you know, as well as I do that, you know, most cases are within a two-year statute of limitations. And then once it's filed, you have a discovery period of usually, what, six months to a yep. year or something. And, you know, there's a lot of time involved. It's not just something Absolutely. willy-nilly that you just, hey, I'm going to sue somebody today. So there has to be, you know, at least a good amount so of reason. So you're not wasting the court's exactly, time. Exactly. Exactly. There's more important things to get to. Um Aside from libel, slander, and defamation, there's also what's called the advocacy of illegal action. And this is where we get to what we spoke about earlier, inciting riots, uh, things like that. Um, that advocacy of illegal action is not protected at all uh, by the First Amendment. And there's a test. This was established in Brandenburg v. Ohio in 1969. Uh, the constitutional guarantees of free speech and free press do not permit a state to forbid prosecute advocacy of the use of force of law violation except where such advocacy is directed to inciting or producing eminent lawless action and is likely to incite or produce such action. So you can't incite a vi you can't incite a, a riot a violent riot and then claim that it was your First Amendment right to incite said Yeah, riot. which, I mean, comes back to, like, um, I mean, wh when, when, when was that ruling? 69? 69, yeah. Which, when were the Berkeley riots? 69. Was it? I think so. So there was, I, I just... 68 or 69, It around was in that, that time, time frame. Yeah. So I just bring that up because there was a lot of, there were there uh, a lot of different reasons that riots were happening yes so like some of the riots were legit like some of them were and i wouldn't even say they were riots i would say they were more protests yeah like in 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 the situations where there were vietnam um what, what was it ohio state yeah ohio state kent, when it kent, kent state, state when kent it state. shot the students because yeah. they were protesting oh, the war in ohio. so i mean that was a, a clear um wrong on the part of the U.S. government or the State Department or whoever was involved. In all honesty, 
I think it was just an, an uh, a mistake by an individual, an individual National Guardsman. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, that could be seen as in the context of what we talked about earlier. Adams yeah. having defended the exactly. British soldiers. I think the, it was it was the fault of the people that pulled the trigger. I don't think the National Guard as a whole. I don't think they were. I don't think they went in there with orders. We'll put it that way. I don't think they went in there with orders to shoot anybody. Yeah. I think it was it was a split second decision by an overzealous national guardsman. But but you could you could that. you could look at the overzealousness of what would have happened like in Alabama sure. during the civil rights movement and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So that's a definite yeah you know stark contrast to that. But I just pointed that out because Berkeley it was around that time that there were also. There were riots that were going on because, and I can't remember the name of the group. It was talked about in Ayn Rand's book on uh, primitive, primitive ideologies or something, or primitive objectionism. She talks about, you know, in Berkeley there was this rising stream of free speech movements that were actually more characterized as um, more communistic idealism that was kind of taking over the campuses at that time. But they promoted themselves as being this right for free speech group. And there was an acronym that they used that was pretty okay. popular during the, I just, it escapes me right now. But anyways, they started riots. They would chase down, uh, they would literally threaten teachers on campus, you know, around the period of the sixties, if they didn't agree with student rights and all these other things that they were fighting for, you know, purported to, you know, stand up for or whatever the case be, they would, you know, take legal or physical harm would be executed against these people, whether beating them or throwing things at them or chasing them, you know, just things that we read about nowadays, uh, you know, with regards to like Evergreen State College out in Washington, or, you know, with that one professor who was chased off a of campus because he decided to protest against uh, them having a day when all the white people left campus or whatever yeah, the case be. exactly. And he was a liberal... Uh, biologists or PhD, I mean, well credentialed guys. So, but anyways, I just point that out because yeah. it, it feels like you know it's it's relevant to that extent. Can you explain real quick? Because there's a phrase in there that was really important to me when I was reading that was the imminent, um, imminent lawless action. Yes. So, um, I, I I guess we'll preface this with the two prongs of the Brandenburg test, and then, and that'll kind of um, kind of bring us around to where you want to be. In order to punish this, the speaker, speech must be directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action and, and, and so it has to be both, and likely to incite or produce such action. So imminent lawless action would mean immediate. Yeah. Um, it, it would directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action, which means I say with a megaphone to a group of people, go over there and destroy that store and steal whatever you want. Yeah. Riot that store. That is uh, advocacy of illegal action. I'm telling them to imminently go do something. So right away, it's imminent. You know what immediately comes to my mind, and not to be funny about this, but do you remember the movie The Warriors? Yeah. Do you remember when all the gangs get together in the beginning and they have that one head who's trying to promote peace amongst all the gang warriors, but he kind of like sends them out on their mission after it's sort of like, that's what it feels like to me. It's like, 
you can't have peace among gang members because the gang members mm-hmm. are all, you know, it's, like, you yep. know, but, you know, there, it was like an insight. It, it kind of goes hand in hand to that where you had a central speaker that was kind of driving those, those virul- virulent force. I can't even talk today either. Yeah. Or those potentially problematic forces <laughs> yeah. into doing things that they shouldn't be doing. But I think what's important to gather from that is it also has to be likely to incite that action okay so like if i say you know man we really should we really should just destroy every store downtown uh to to a couple of guys in a private setting in in a building that's not actually likely yeah to result in somebody taking that up now if um who's somebody that's really popular uh, the rock he's a he's a popular guy he got a lot of followers if he were to get on Twitter and say, uh, go go destroy a government building, he would be responsible for that because he has enough enough influence that it would likely result in that action being carried out. So the, 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 the more influence you have, the more likely it's going to be that your advocacy for illegal action is going to be taken seriously. So do they, I guess my question in that situation, would they base it off of the person's status? I think it's like job title. I think it's a totality of circumstances kind of, kind of judgment. So if, if I were to go on Twitter and say, man, somebody should storm the Capitol. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As a, as a, as a, I'm just pulling that out of my, I don't know where I'm getting that from. Um, but if somebody were to, if I were to go on Twitter and say that, that's innocuous. Who cares? Who yeah. am I? Yeah. Um, but if us, uh, if the president of the United States yeah. happened to get on Twitter and say storm the capital, capital, which he did not do, I'm just using it as an example, then that would likely to result in producing such action that that, i mean with regards to the january 6th commission that's been kind of the conversation piece is whether or not what he said in that rally was contributory to what happened so well i I, you know in my opinion and don't want to go down a rabbit trail but in my opinion i have i have both thoughts i could he he all he said was let's go up to congress and show them that we're you know that we're fighting for our democracy or whatever. I can't remember his exact words, but he never said break into the Capitol and threaten their lives and, and destroy property and break window. He never said any of that. All he said was let's walk up to the Capitol on the other side of the coin. If somebody's already has it in their mind that we need to, we need to do that. Then when he says go up to the Capitol in their mind, he's telling them to do something, but that's where, that's where that, the, in the Brandenburg test, I lost it already, uh, but where the, in the Brandenburg text where it says directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action and likely to incite produce such action, that's where it kind of gets a little gray because yeah. his intent was not to incite violence. I would feel like that's a very ambiguous strain of conversation trying to pinpoint whether, because I mean, they have the verbatim of what was said that day. They have the exact verbatim. So you basically either, and I, you know, the trouble with it is, is that 
stuff like that really can't be in the public court of opinion because it really everybody's going to see it in whatever context exactly. that they feel with regards to it. So and and that's why the this this public court, the court of public opinion, which is so prevalent today, is dangerous because the court of a public opinion is not law. Yeah, and it, it doesn't have the the handcuffs so to speak that a court an actual court of law would have in certain situations yeah. so it's more of uh, an opinion of what you think of yeah. what happened and that person itself rather than the totality of circumstances yeah and um, this by no means in any way shape or form negates what the other people did sure we're only strictly talking about the person you know yeah, the president the president I, we, and, we've and his- always said that the riot that happened at the Capitol was was uh, was wrong, uh, yeah. and people are going to get prosecuted based and off of should. what they did. And they should, to the full extent of the law, um, you know, with due process. With due process, you know, I yep. still want to see fairness and, and stuff like that. But they because they're not the only ones that have ever done any shit no, like this in the country. No, no, is really what it boils down to. You you look out at Seattle and how they took over that yep. entire autonomous zone and and things what, like that. What bugs and, me is I know that there's probably court cases going on with regards to these people. You know, these people that declared the autonomous zone. Mm-hmm. These people that in Minneapolis that were burning stuff down. I know that there are people being taken to court that, you know, the municipalities themselves would only be aware of at this point. Yep. The problem is, is because they choose not to publicate, publish, you know, even a blurb about, okay, these people from this situation are They're now, getting punished They're too. being punished too. That would be all you would ever have yeah. to say. Okay, cool. Yeah, okay, right, we understand. Cool. Yep. Yeah, yep. but no, they what they do is they, they, they they play upon the emotions of people and they just keep building on the 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 fever train so to speak you know with regards to people's political affiliations and blah 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 and then it turns into a mess but anyways this will bring us to the last thing that i think i want to cover today as far as freedom of speech um is concerned and and that is uh, the supreme court in chaplinsky versus new hampshire 1942 um, established a carve out for what's called fighting words. Yeah. Um, so, fighting words. In in that decision, I'm going to read the definition in that decision. Fighting words are words which, by their very utterance, inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of the peace. It has been well observed that such utterances are no essential part of any exposition of ideas and are such slight social value as to step to truth that any benefit that they may be that may be derived from them is clearly outweighed by the social interest in order and morality. Yeah. So essentially if you walk up to a black person and call them the n-word, yeah. that's a fighting word. Yeah. And, he, and if he assaults you, yeah. you're responsible for that, not him. Yeah. Because you were using fighting words. Um and then um in the decades following Chaplinsky, the court had decided that a number of cases which further clarify the speech and actions, including uh, Terminiello versus Chicago in 1949, which in, uh, then included words which produce a clear and present danger are unprotected, but words which invite dispute and even cause unrest are protected. So meaning you can't yell fire. In a, well, you can. 
you have the right to yell fire in a crowded theater, but you'll be prosecuted for the riot that ensues when people. Yeah. So basically, if I'm Joe Blow in an empty theater and I yell fire and it doesn't affect no, any outcome. No, yes. There's no. You're fine. But if there's a theater full of people and you yell shooter or some shit like yeah. that and everybody stampedes for the door and people get trampled, you're now responsible for that because th your words produced a clear and present danger. Yeah. Uh, so they're unprotected. However, words, and this is also relevant to Twitter, words which invite dispute and even cause unrest are protected. Mm-hmm. So yep. the KKK speeches, yeah. the Nazi rallies, all that stuff, they cause unrest and they're uncomfortable and they invite dispute, but they're protected because. It's yeah. And at one point back in the 70s, the ACLU used to stand up for yeah, stuff like that. Exactly. And they've kind of backed away like we talked about that. But I, I thought, thought it was funny. The uh, Texas versus Johnson 1989 Supreme Court redefined the scope of fighting words doctrine to mean words that are a direct personal insult, insult or invitation to exchange. fisticuffs. Yep. Like who uses the word fisticuffs yep. anymore? <laughs> but that's that. Yeah, I, know, I get it. No. But but the, so if you if you walk up to somebody yeah. and say, hey, I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah. Then and you, they get their ass kicked. That person that you threatened is is not liable. You yeah. said you ex, you inv invited. Hey, you want to take us outside? Yeah. That's an invitation to fisticuffs. And if my you get your ass kicked. <laughs> yeah. My thing is, is like situations like that, they would. I don't know. They, they're tough to prove, especially if there's nobody else around viewing what's going on. You know yep. what I mean? It's just. Your word versus their word, essentially. So, and then the last, the last carve out, RAV versus the city of St. Paul in 1992. Even if the words are considered to be fighting words, the First Amendment will still protect the speech if the speech restriction is based on a viewpoint or discrimination. So, the yeah. way I the way I read that is, um, even if the words are considered fighting words. The First Amendment will still protect that speech if the speech restriction is based on a viewpoint discrimination. So if – boy, that's kind of hard to define, isn't it? Um, even if the words are considered to be fighting words, the First Amendment will still protect the speech if the speech restriction is based on a viewpoint discrimination. So – Yeah, I mean it's that's, – That's hard to define. Yeah, I mean, I guess, or at least it's hard to it's hard to give an example of how that would work out because I can't see, I personally can't see a. I guess the First Amendment prevents government from punishing speech and expressive conduct because it disapproves of the ideas expressed. Even if the words are considered fighting words, the First Amendment will still. I that I can't wrap my head around because. If they're fighting words, then how can it be based on viewpoint discrimination? So if I say, I'm going to kick your ass you, because you're an Antifa? I, th I, don't, I think for this one, we'd have to bring up the context of the actual ruling itself. That would like, probably have to be like a uh, another totality of the circumstances kind of, kind of thing. Yeah, because it seems like that one would be fairly involved with regards to... We didn't get really we didn't really get to touch on the media and freedom of the press too much. So well, we can we can tackle that on, on I think another that we'll, episode. Yeah, I think that we're going to maybe continue because this, this is this has been a lot of stuff to begin with. Yeah. Just with regards to what so we've I think gone that we'll through. come back to we'll come back to the rest of that. I guess the overarching theme of today's episode is 
Um, you know, you do have a right to free speech, but there's carve outs. It's not, it's not absolute as much as I'd love it to be absolute, um, to live in a civilized society, there has to be some give and take and some ebb and flow in order for speech to be as free as it possibly can be with, without causing further injury to, to other folks, whether it be physical, emotional, or otherwise. I, uh, I was thinking of a weird analogy. I was okay. watching The Man of Steel again the other day. Oh, okay. Which, of the DC movies... Good Superman was, movie. ...was one of the better ones. You got Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and, you know, Man of Steel, which the other ones are poopers. Yeah. Like Batman and... Yeah. Know. But anyways, neither here nor there. Man of Steel, of course, it, it, the, the beginning of the movie, it gives a little bit of the backstory of Krypton and his dad and his mom and the kind of the circumstances that prefaced, you know, them sending, you know, Kal El to Earth, you know, who becomes Superman later on, you know, for all you comic book nerds out there. But, you know, what what transpires is that Jarrell, who is the dad, um, is basically in a in a in a dispute with their their high council, so to speak, with regards to what's happening to the what's gonna happen to Krypton. Krypton is critical zero you know it's basically the the core is melting down and the the world is about to explode and uh basically he is trying to convince the board like he's he's disputing with them he's arguing with them he's in their presence talking to them trying to dispute with them what they're what they're not willing to see what they're not willing to accept as you know as what's going to happen an ultimatum essentially not one he's bringing about but one that's happening as a result of just natural circumstances um then you have general zod who's the 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 enemy or the villain of the whole series that basically comes in under the same pretense he's he's tired of the fact that the the antagonist yeah the antagonist arrives and basically his thing is that he's so sick and tired of the fact that the, the the governing council, this high authority, is unwilling to see any reason, you know, and you know, basically Zod and Jarrell have the same mentality, you know, understanding with regards to um, this What's this happening. governing authority and what they're not doing to address it. But Zod's answer to it is to come in guns blazing and start shooting people and basically do a military coup. So basically, what you see is this. Whereas General Zod and uh, you know Jarrell are basically identical in their thoughts, and they've been friends for a really long time, had a great deal of respect for each other, and you can see it in the initial transactions between each other because they're willing to give each other the opportunity to you know Speaking, concede, yeah. concede, or to see the way th- see things the way that they are going now, as opposed to how they have been going, and then basically you see this sudden split off in the mentality where Jarrell is like, well, I don't believe that your method is right here. And then, you know, of course, Kalel gets introduced into the picture as being the yes. first naturally born child as opposed to a child that's been replicated and produced in some lab somewhere. And, yeah. you know, and then Zod gets all heretical about it. You know, it's like, well, that's heresy and blah, blah, blah. You know, so basically now he's emulating what the the board, the board was doing, was bo- doing and has been doing all this time. But yet on the flip side of things, he was mad at them because they weren't doing anything about the immediate. But he's the violent one. Jarrell's still the peaceful one. Yeah. So I just say that because there, there are elements of free speech 
that were being exploited and being looked at within the context of something as benign as a superhero film. Superman movie. But it was interesting to me because it's like looking at the, the different responses. Freedom of speech protects your ability to go and argue, to scream, to yell, to yep. to go back and forth, to wrestle in terms of in- intellectual wrestling over facts and over things that you may consider wrong and right and whatever the case be. But what it doesn't protect is when you decide to pick up a rifle or when you decide to pick up a knife or decide with your fist, as they say, the fisticuffs, yeah. and decide to go at it with somebody you know, over their beliefs or whatever the case be. And in my estimations... If we don't curb some of the emotional exploitation that's happening within the scope of social media and within the scope of just media in general, if we don't start to curb some of that social exploitation, because it is, it's exploitation. It's basically the equivalent of what Coca-Cola did back in the 30s and 40s when they were playing – messages mixed messages in the background that people couldn't really tell if they were there or not they're playing mixed messages to the people of this country and i don't care again to use a word that the left uses a lot dog whistling dog whistling yes yeah exactly and that makes perfect sense but i mean liberal conservative in between purple whatever your affiliation understand this is that somebody's whistling in your ear and, you know, the point is, is that freedom of speech, I, one of the conversations I had with somebody is that I personally believe that the rights as the Constitution explicitly establishes relate to individual rights, not collective rights. Yes. I believe that collective rights are what we talk about in communistic societies. I believe that the differing, the huge underlying underpinning difference between rights in our country and rights in another country is that we don't see them as collective, but individual rights, which means every single person is equal on the basis of individual rights, but not collective rights, which means, you know, on that token, people people as individuals have a higher capacity, I would say, or there's a greater statistical probability that an individual is going to be able to see something as false or not, as opposed to a collective. And because something that somebody pointed out to me was with regards to Jim Jones, that was a collective. Mm -hmm. People or Heaven's Gate or some other cult that you want to throw into that mix, they were a collective by which People had rights, but they were collective rights. They were communal rights. They were rights that everybody felt they had. There was some level of respect, but it was based on the collective, the collective But you as an individual were expected to sacrifice something for the collective. You were expected to accept or expend or sell out, essentially, your own personal individual feelings for the collective. That's a great way to put it. You, you You were expected to sell your individualism to the collective in order to be part of that collective. Uh, so in order to in order to benefit from the rights of that collective, you had to sell out your individualism and in, I, in order to And I think we need to understand that they're attacking individual rights with these background narratives that they're preaching through social, through, through media, through all these other things. Whether we want to recognize it or tr- translate it as conspiracy theory, I don't care. But the fact of the matter is, is that it is evident that the way in which people react to each other nowadays as opposed to 20, 20, 30, 40 years ago is diametrically different. 
you know, it's never to say that we didn't have crime. It's not to say that we didn't have issues. It's not to say that we didn't have disputes even that time frame. But to me, from my estimations, just the sheer hardline xenophobia, just sheer hatred, just vengefulness that just exudes and just comes out of people anymore. When you start to talk to them about anything that's contrary to what they believe, it just suddenly flips the switch of just... I've got to beat the shit out of this person because they can't exist in my social sphere or, exactly. or my world or whatever the case be. But this is what all goes back to the importance of why we're going over these pieces because for you to understand what your rights are as an individual, you need to understand what the Constitution says explicitly, not generally. Yeah, not and, and, and not say, oh, well – you know, they wrote this, but they meant this and, and this, that, and the other. Exactly. It's, you have to go back and understand the context to which the con- Constitution was formed. You can't look at it through the lens of 2022 and get a full compounded understanding of it. You have to look at it through the lens of 1776 oh, yeah. and what was happening to these people at the time in order to understand. The, again, I go back to the Second Amendment has nothing to do with hunting. It, it has nothing to do <laughs> yeah. with protecting your house. The Second Amendment was put into place to curb a tyrannical government. It was the people's protection against a tyrannical government. We'll get into that uh, in a couple weeks, um, you know, when we, when we do our episode on the Second Amendment, uh, which is probably going to be another long one. Um, so I think next week, religious, I think we should yeah, get into gonna, the religious finish, liberties. Yeah, we'll finish up a little bit on the um, freedom of the press and freedom of expression. And kind of finish that part out, um, and then we'll talk about freedom of religion and uh, freedom of assembly. Because I think freedom of religion and assembly kind of go together. Yeah, too, they do. Because you assemble. Well, they all kind of practice. Like they, they all build on each other, interweave, and that's why they're all in the same amendment. Um, but but you can kind of split them out into different umbrellas, and the, the umbrella covers certain certain parts. And by no mean shape, by no shape or form, are we grasping the whole of this oh this I mean, is so complex we could probably do a, a, a year a, yeah a month's long <laughs> series on on just the first amendment alone just because of how intricate it can get um but at any rate um the, the important thing to take from this is that to, to, it's kind of like princess bride you keep using this word <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think you know what it means. Would you like a peanut? So, everybody want a peanut? But uh, <laughs> so, I guess what I'm saying is, into in the context of t- today's world, everybody is yelling and screaming freedom of speech, freedom of speech, yeah. freedom of speech. But I don't think they really grasp what freedom of speech really means. They don't understand the definition of the word because they're. You know, there's certain parts of freedom of speech where the right thinks that they have freedom of speech where I'm, I'm sorry, you don't. Um, for instance, the, the fighting words. The right seems to think that you you have the right to call people names and call people snowflakes. Not just the right. I'm just yeah. saying that yeah. I'm trying to make an example on both sides. So they call people snowflakes and they, they say fighting words and, you know, we're going to kick your ass and this, that, and the other. That's not exactly protected. And the left on the other side is saying, well, you can't lie and, and you can't say misinformation. Okay, well, who gets to define what what's true and, and, and what misinformation is? Exactly. So 
you know, you got to kind of, it's like I said, there's give and take, there's ebb and flow. You, it, it's not just, um, it, it's not, it's, it's not biopic. It's not uh, bipolar. It's, it's, there's, there's a big spectrum yeah. of, of cutouts. I think one of the interesting, yes, I needed that. So you can find us on Facebook.com at PA Between the Lines. You can find us on Twitter at the BTL Podcast. And you can enjoy talking to us on our website at the BTL You can find me on the corner of Diamond and Hill Street. <laughs> I charge $30 an hour. I just had to throw in that long, long man. For I love you. long, long man. There's, there's just something. Long, long man is like the cherry on the top of the Sunday. I just, you know, it's just, there. you just can't get away without of it. But. Um, but anyways, this this has been really uh, a, a, an interesting uh, topic to pursue because I think it really opens up. I think it flushes out a lot of what we talk about, too, I think, yeah. in some regards, because we have a tendency to mishmash stuff and yeah. just jump around to things. But I think this really adds some substance. And, it, and it's relevant. Yeah. It's relevant to today because I don't think there's ever been a time – and I'm kind of speaking broadly without doing more research, but I really don't know of any other time where free speech has been threatened as much as it is yeah. today. Um, I've never in my life would have imagined that we would have a disinformation governance board as part of the yeah. Department of Homeland Security. Could you imagine in the, in the, in the Reagan administration oh, God. if somebody would have said something yeah. about a ministry of truth or – the, Whatever this, they call it, yeah. Other than this time right now, it would have been a public outcry. There would have been a million people marching yep. to Washington. Yep. At any other time in our history, there would have been a million people marching to Washington over this, and it's just not happening. Well, I think because it's so sudden, I we may very well see something on that scale, but I mean... I hope so. I, I, I do too. I hope that people get pissed off enough from both sides of the aisle and, and it is happening democrats are joining republicans in this because they see the pendulum is going to swing and think about it this way for all my liberal friends imagine what the, the 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 we'll call it the ministry of truth imagine what the ministry of truth would be like under a president DeSantis. yeah it would be the same thing think about what 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 he would think about what he could label as disinformation yeah. on the, on the other side, the pendulum swings. And I'm not saying that the right is completely absolved in this either because no. they can do the same thing. And that's why it's dangerous because it's not always your side. That's, that's going to be in power. Yeah. And that's why they got to stop like this whole thing about the filibuster. The filibuster protects both. It of has your, to be in place. It has, it protects both of your rear ends. I know it has nothing to do with the constitution originally, we can talk about it. It was other a great time. idea. It was an idea that came about. It evolved into what it is, and it helps both parties to it makes our it makes our 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 democracy. Even though it's not a democracy, it makes I use democracy as a broad term for our our elective government. It, it, I'll say it that way. It makes our elective government work better. Yeah, because. Government should be slow. Or work harder. Yeah. It, government should be yeah. slow, and it forces them to agree. You have to come to a consensus. You can't just – you can't use 51% of, of, a, of a body and force it down the throats of the other 49%. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's just – that's not fair either. It's no. like, like I said earlier, it's two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for dinner. That's, and, that's pure democracy. And the minorities, again, get trampled underfoot and, yep. again – 
you know and yeah in a in a representative republic the way that we have it then now you have the sheep with a gun contesting the results of the election yeah yeah <laughs> you know yeah, what i mean much so uh, at any rate uh you can find us on facebook at pa between the lines you can find us on twitter at the btl podcast go check out our old podcasts come back next week and uh, you know enjoy the f- as we finish out this uh, little series on the first amendment um and and keep keep tuning in because we are going to cover all of the amendments um i yeah. want to i want to go through all of them even the boring ones yeah, even the third <laughs> amendment I, I challenge anyone not to Google, not to use Google and tell me what the Third Amendment is. I guarantee you, you can't yep. do it. Um, if you can, more power to you. Uh, we'll get into it. I love, I personally like the First Am- or the Third Amendment, and it's actually been recently used. Uh, it was it was not used for like 200 years. We didn't use it at all, and recently. We, we've actually used the, the Third Amendment. So there so was a reason for it. Yeah, so there was a reason for it. So we'll get into all those. So stay tuned in the future, too, because we got some good episodes coming up. Yep. Um, and, you know, get in touch with us on social media and tell us what you want to hear. You know, we don't know we don't know what, to, what, what content to put out if you don't tell us what you want to hear. So if there's something that you want us to talk about or do research on and get you some more information on, by all means, get a hold of us, get in touch with us, email us. Our email is, is available on the, on the, uh, on the website, the btlpodcast.com. So just let us know and we'll, we'll tailor the podcast towards what the listeners want to hear. Isn't that why we're here? Yeah. And don't call us racist and we might talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been really great right out of the gate. But I hope everybody has a long, long weekend <laughs> and a very long, long month. Oh, gosh. I love that sax. Keeping it saxy. Keeping it saxy. All right. Um, just everyone stay calm. Uh, look at things objectively uh, and from from another person's point of view. Walk in other people's shoes for a little bit and try to try to understand where they're coming from. And that's the only way that we're going to move forward um, in this country. So until next time, everyone take care of yourselves and each other. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.